today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. To gird up the loins. Well, that's a term we don't use because we don't have the same situation they did in those days. In those days, as they wore the long flowing robes, the robes would actually get in the ways many times when they would go about their daily work or particularly if they had to run or were in a race. So to gird up the loins means to take that robe, pull it up, wrap it in and out and around and through and tie it off somehow with a rope or a belt so that you have the freedom to be able to work or to run. Primarily what it's saying is get ready for action. Get ready for action. The Bible tells believers to gird up their loins. In today's message, Pastor David unpacks this instruction by teaching us that in biblical times, in order to run or move quickly, folks had to tie up their long robes so as not to get in the way. Therefore, the Word is telling believers when it says, gird your loins, to get ready for work. Pastor David teaches us that Christians cannot be lazy. We must be diligent students of the Word in order to give a reason for our faith, and we must be hardworking to make eternal kingdom impact on the earth. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message, The Hope of Grace, from 1 Peter chapter 1. R.C. Sproul, Dr. R.C. Sproul Sr., is uh, he's a well-known theologian and uh, Bible teacher and writer of our day. I don't agree with everything that uh, Dr. Sproul writes, but there are a lot of things I do agree with him on. And one of those things is th- some of the words that he wrote in his book, The Essentials of the Christian Faith. In The Essentials of the Christian Faith, I read this passage. He says to believe that we are justified by a kind of faith that produces no works is to embrace the heresy of antinomianism. In other words, we are so far away from the law that we don't have to do any good things. He goes on, he says the relationship of faith and good works is one that may be distinguished but never separated. The relationship of faith and good works, you can distinguish the two, but you can never separate the two. He says, though our good works add no merit to our faith before God, and though the sole condition of our justification is our faith in Christ, if good works do not follow our profession of faith, it is a clear indication that we do not possess justifying faith. That's a pretty heavy statement there. But he goes on to speak about the, from the Reformation came this formula, that we are justified by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone, okay? I use that as an introduction to today's uh, uh, teaching found in 1 Peter chapter 1. I invite you to turn there with us if you would. One of the great arguments against 
Protestantism, and in particular those that are uh, uh, grace-centered in their preaching, those that really stand by the, again, out of the Reformation, that we are saved by grace through faith, through faith alone, or grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The great problem that many have with that is that they feel that we lessen the necessity or the importance of good works in the Christian's life. And really, nothing can be further from the truth. The difference is in our value of these good works and the relationship of good works and salvation. To put it another way, are good works required for salvation? I refer you back to the words as uh, Dr. Sproul uh, wrote them in De- from the Reformation, where he says we are justified by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. And today we're going to begin a journey actually into an arena that, that's filled with conflict, it's filled with a lot of arguments, it's filled with a lot of misunderstandings. And I promise you today that by the time we are finished, that you will not have a complete answer, okay? Because time alone will not allow us to be able to cover all the aspects of what we're going to touch on today. But in the uh, following weeks, we will continue to dig into this thing. One of the issues that we will look at today is the question that since we are called, we are called to be holy, what happens when we fail in that mandate? You are called to be holy. Why? Because he is holy. What happens when I'm not? Look with me if you would. First Peter chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 13, and I've titled today's message, The Hope of Grace. Peter writes in verse 13, he says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to your former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because as it's written, be holy, for I am holy. Okay, we're starting right off in verse 13. The very first word is the therefore. And if you've been with us for very long, you know that whenever we find a therefore, we've got to find out why the therefore is therefore, right? Okay, so that's what we need to do very first. So we're going to quickly kind of back up into some previous verses. And we're going to see a number of blessings that the Lord has placed in our lives that that bring about the, the, the culmination of the therefore. The very first blessing that we see in our life is found in verse 2 when he says, we are elect, we're chosen by God. That's a great blessing in our life. Still in verse 2 comes the second blessing. We are sanctified. We've been drawn away from the world and placed to holy work. God has called every believer unto holy purposes. The third blessing that we see is still found in verse 2, the, the fact that we are called to obedience. And beloved, if you don't know yet, obedience has its own blessings, okay? When we walk in obedience, there's a tremendous amount of blessings that just come with that. The fourth blessing that we have is still found in verse 2, that all of this was made possible by the blood of Jesus Christ, that Christ was our sacrifice for our sin. All of it was made possible because of him. 
Our fifth blessing is found down in verse 3. We are born again. We're begotten again to a living hope. The sixth blessing in verse 4, we have a glorious inheritance. And remember, as we looked at that uh, over the last couple of weeks, it's an inheritance that's incorruptible. It's undefiled. It's reserved in heaven for us. So our seventh blessing is found in verse 5. We are kept by the power of God. Not my strength, not my abilities. It's the very power of God who keeps us secure in him. All of these blessings that we look at here are truly and completely ours as believers in Jesus Christ. It goes to all believers. And yet Peter tells us that even though we have all of these blessings, that there can be and there will be trials and testing in every one of our lives. That every believer is going to go through times of trials and testing. There's going to be times of refining and purifying. Yes, even when you feel you've got it right and you've got it all together, you're doing the right thing, there's still that time of purifying that God takes that and and purifies it even greater for his purposes. Yet through it all, through all of those trials, through all those testings, through all that purifying, we will receive the end of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Therefore, he says in verse 13. Now, if you stop and think about it, that's a lot to be there for and to be thankful for. Peter's getting ready to tell us that due to all that the Lord has done for us, all that the Lord has done on our behalf, that we as believers, every believer, needs to be actively and purposefully be pilgrims in process. In other words, we need to be moving forward in our faith, drawing closer to the Lord, continually in that process of growing in obedience, growing in that relationship with the Lord Jesus through obedience in our lives. The Lord has done so much in our lives Therefore, verse 13 says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. He says, be sober. He says, rest your hope. Those three main things we're going to look at this morning. Rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Gird up your loins. Now, there's a phrase we don't use uh, very regularly today, okay? At least in our household, we don't. But uh, you, if, if we did, you might you might imagine the uh, coach out on the uh, ball field yelling out at the players, okay, guys, gird up those loins or get off the field, okay? Or, or maybe a parent trying to get the kids up in the morning. Okay, kids, time to get up. Gird up your loins. Let's move it, move it, move it. Uh, you know, trying to get them going on the way. To gird up the loins, well, that's a term we don't use because we don't have the same situation they did in those days. In those days, as they wore the long flowing robes, the robes would actually get in the ways many times when they would go about their daily work or particularly if they had to run or were in a race. So to gird up the loins means to take that robe, pull it up, wrap it in and out and around and through and tie it off somehow with a rope or a belt so that you have the freedom to be able to work or to run. Primarily what it's saying is get ready for action. 
get ready for action. And yet at the same time, Peter takes this phrase and he incorporates it and he applies it a little bit differently. He says, gird up the loins of your mind. In essence, because you are in the game, because there is a battle that's before you, that because you can be assured of trials and uh, tribulations headed your way, we need to be mentally ready for what lies ahead. We need to be ready for battle. This idea of gird up the loins of your mind is to bring into control those internal things that can become a distraction in your faithfulness to Christ. Oh, we know there's an abundance of external things. I mean, the world all around us is, is, is drawing our attention. But I believe that what he's speaking about is those internal things, those things that work and move within all of our minds that can become a great distraction for us being found faithful and focused on the things of God. To gird up the loins of your mind is to focus our mind on those things which please the Savior and not the things of the flesh. To gird up the loins of the mind is to be emotionally and mentally untangled from the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things entering in to choke out the word of God and thus our lives becoming unfruitful. You remember that from Jesus' lesson on the four soils, how things can come up in our lives and suddenly we're, we're distracted from where we ought to be. It also brings to mind the things that Paul told us about in the, in the writings or in the letter to the church of Philippi. In chapter 4, Paul writes about how we need to be living in that peace of God, that peace of God that surpasses all understanding. He tells us that that peace, that that presence of God comes into our lives, and as it comes, it will guard our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus. In the midst of all of that, still Paul writing to the Philippians, he gives the Philippians instruction, and you and I, he gives instruction on how we need to guard our minds. Or you might say how we need to gird up the loins of our minds. He says that finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just and whatever things that are pure, whatever things that are lovely, whatever things that are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on those things. In other words, put your mind, your focus on those things. And he says, the things which you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, this is the ultimate in mind control. And I love that. No, it's not the mind control that the evil empire does over the conquered peoples, you know, boom. No, it is internal, and it is purposeful, and it is personal and deliberate drawing of our own minds to the things of God. When we know that left to its own, our mind responds way too quickly to outside circumstances. When left to its own, our, our mind desires to wander into the world and 
into the flesh? Or is it just a small boat that I'm in and it's just me that way? As believers, we have this ongoing, this lifelong responsibility to set our affection on things above and not on things of the earth. That's what we're called to as believers. That's why Paul, that, that great epistle or apostle of grace speaks throughout all of his letters, that idea that you and I, though there is an abundance of grace that God pours out, yet you and I need to take personal responsibility to put off the old man and that old way of living and thinking. And we, through the help of the Holy Spirit, we need to continually be putting on the new man which was created in true righteousness and holiness according to God's plan. He tells us this in Ephesians 4. Oh, but I thought there was grace. There is grace. But with that grace comes a great responsibility for each believer. Coming back now to 1 Peter, Peter tells us to guard up the loins of our mind. And I feel that basically what he's saying is you need to get your head screwed back on right. Because in this world, man, it, it, it spins out of control way too often. Because of all that Christ has done on our behalf, you and I have that great responsibility to do that for us to gird up the loins of our mind, for us to refocus and guard and keep our minds in Christ Jesus. That's your responsibility. Oh, but you know, I just figured I could pray and say, Lord, if you really want me to be that way, then just wave a magic hand over me and get that all straightened. But God says, no, I've saved you by grace. But in the midst of that grace, you need to put off the old. You need to put on the new. You need to guard your mind. You need to be thinking and processing things. The next thing that Peter tells us is not only girding up the loins of your mind, but he says to be sober. To be sober. And that word translated sober comes from a Greek word, nepho, N-E-P-H-O, for those of you taking notes. Nepho does carry with it that idea of not being controlled or overwhelmed by wine or strong drink or other substances, prescription or non-prescription, whatever the case may be. But in, in the writings of both Peter and Paul, that word is most often used in the context of being right-minded, being discreet, being watchful, and yes, even that idea of being prudent. Now, we've looked at that word prudent as we've been in First Peter. And remember, being prudent doesn't mean that you're a prude, okay? Being prudent means that you live your life with an understanding of the consequences of choices that you make. So if I do that, let me stop before I do it and consider the consequences. Beloved, that's being prudent. It's the, it's the one that just goes headlong helter-skelter through life, making no real determination. Wow, if I do that, or if I act that way, if I go that way, or if I say that, or if I respond that way, what's going to happen? The prudent man guards his way. In the context of what Peter is saying here, he's saying to be sober, it deals with the ability and the practice of being right-minded. 
Now, being right-minded has absolutely nothing to do with right brain, left brain, okay? That's not what he's saying. No, it deals with right mind or wrong mind. That's what he's speaking. We need to keep ourselves in balance. We need to be aware of what's going on in our life, in the life around us, and yes, even in the world around us. We need to be able to focus correctly on the right things, and we need to always have Christ It's the center frame of our mind. I don't know about you, but I find that is extremely difficult to do at times. I believe that it was difficult for the first century believers because Jesus spoke about it so much, because the apostles wrote about it so much, about how we ought to to live. They wrote about our responsibility, the choices that we have to make. And beloved, I believe that now difficulty in this 21st century continues on. It does not happen automatically. It's not a natural thing for you and I, even as believers, to be that way. It requires effort. It requires concentration. It requires living a life of intentionality. In other words, I have a purpose and an intention of living my life to the glory of Christ, to the honor of God. I am his child. I want to be pleasing in his sight. So again, I go back to the words of the apostle Paul. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 5, he says, Paul, or he said, Timothy, you be watchful in all things. And the very same word that Paul uses there as watchful is that word napho, that Peter here uh, is it's translated in 1 Peter as sober. It's that idea, mentally alert, prepared, not easily thrown off balance, but always ready for action. There's going to be a lot of times in the lives of us as believers, all of us as believers, that the Holy Spirit will speak to you, giving you direction, giving you a leading in your life. Now, during those times, I guess the question comes, are you listening and are you prepared? Because more often than not, that word from the Lord comes as that still small voice. Sometimes we wish he would just say, hey, with a two-by-four, wake me up and then give me your word. But God usually doesn't work that way if he doesn't have to. It was back uh, in the end of the 19th century, late 1800s. It was back when, um, when, when telegrams were the primary way of communicating over long distance. And a telegraph company was looking to hire one more telegrapher to their company. And so they put an ad out in the paper. And on the day that they were taking the applications for a new telegrapher, uh, suddenly their, their lobby was filled with dozens, scores of, of young men with the anticipation, the excitement of being able to get that job. And just the excitement of getting the job with this company was just huge in the room. You could feel it in the room as they would talk with each other and laugh and and share their backgrounds together. And during all of that time, they paid absolutely no attention to what was coming over the loudspeaker there into the lobby. Thanks for tuning in today for Pastor David Landry's verse-by-verse study through the book of 1 Peter here on The Open Word. 
We're glad we're able to bring you these teachings straight from God's Word, but we're even more glad you chose to spend time with us today. We love hearing from our listeners, so please give us a call if you have a moment. Our phone number here is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Let us know, too, how we can be praying for you. Are you a part of a local church? Joining and actively getting involved in a local body of believers is a great way to grow in your faith. It's a place where you can learn about the power and love of the Savior and ask questions among other imperfect seeking people. You'll find support in times of need and be able to offer help to others in your own unique way. If you have yet to find a local church in your area, we'd encourage you to start looking today. And if you're in the Casa Grande area, Pastor David has a special invitation for you. Hey, thanks, Chris. You know, I'd like to personally invite you to join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for a time of worship, fellowship, and studying the Word of God. We meet every Sunday at 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock in the morning, as well as Wednesday evening and Saturday evening at 6.30. You can find our address and directions by visiting theopenword.com and following the links to our church page. I look forward to meeting you in person and sharing this journey of faith with you. Thanks, Pastor David. Join us next time for another edition of The Open Word.